Hey everyone, this is Joseph Bosco, pastor of Highway Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. You know, all of us need the right kind of voices in our lives. Voices that inspire us to know the one who made us. Voices that awaken our divine destiny and reveal to us the goodness of God. Well, that's what this ministry is all about. So enjoy the message. So as we talk about love's plan over the past four weeks, I want to remind us of the foundation of love's plan and the foundation of all that God does. And the foundation is his word. And that's very important to remember. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the essence of a vibrant relationship with God is, is believing His Word, hearing it, receiving it, believing it, and acting upon it. Okay? Very important. Very important. So as we're walking forward in Christ... We're listening for his word. We're meditating in our Bibles. We're meditating in the scriptures, in the written word, and we're listening for his spoken word, his direction in our lives as well. Our love for him, the vibrancy of our relationship with him is measured by and directly corresponds to how, hmm, how do I say this? Well, the degree to which we value his word. And I, I want to, I don't know that I can emphasize that enough, and I, in, in no way do I mean legalistically. We are not Bible thumpers. We're not legalistic, trying to beat anyone over the head with the Bible. When I talk about the word of God, I am talking about the Bible, and I'm talking about the expression of God's heart. The reason that the Bible has been so grossly misunderstood is because the heart of the one who wrote it is largely unknown. When you know the heart of God, you'll understand the Word of God, all right? So to have a vibrant relationship with God, to participate in His plan, we've got to know His Word. His Word is the expression of His heart, all right? So we are working together with God. We're participating in his plan by esteeming his word, by making the learning and knowledge of his word a, a priority in our daily lives. Let's see here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And why, do I, why is there an emphasis on the word in this conclusion of love's plan? The foundation of love's plan is his word, is love's word. God has given us his word. He has expressed his heart to us very clearly through his son, Jesus Christ. And he saw to it by his spirit that you and I could have a written version of it. And that's huge because this wasn't possible uh, until, well, relatively recently, if you look at the timeline of human history. God has chosen, listen closely, come on, highway family, help me out here. Engage with me this morning. Let's take our religious goggles off, our religious headphones. Let's purpose to grow in Christ this morning, 
okay? Listen to what I'm about to say. God has chosen preaching. We're going to look at it in the Word here. Preaching and teaching to bring His salvation into the earth and to grow the body of Christ. Very important to understand that. It's not something we came up with to promote our ideas. It's, it's, it's something that God implemented in the earth. And I want us to look at this as we understand love's plan. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. God has chosen preaching and teaching to bring his salvation into the earth and to grow the body of Christ. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. So if you want to know God, you're going to have to let go of the wisdom of this world. And that's a wonderful thing to do. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Who, to whom is preaching foolish? Well, to those who don't know the ways that God moves, to those who aren't spiritually minded. Now, you're going to see why this is so important as we go on today. So God has chosen preaching to save them that believe. We see this exemplified throughout the scriptures. We're going to look specifically at Jesus. Okay? Jesus is the will of God in the flesh. He's the way, the truth, and the life. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Matthew, who traveled with him for over three years and knew him very well, he recorded for us in different places a summary of the ministry of Jesus. Very important. He says in verse 23 of chapter 4, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, which would have been church, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. So he went about, this was his ongoing practice, doing three things, teaching, preaching, and healing. Two-thirds of the ministry of Jesus was teaching and preaching. Why is this important? Well, for many reasons. But if we want to be actively involved in the plan of God, we need good, fresh, hot Jesus preaching in our ears, in our lives, because it strengthens us, it fuels us, it gives us revelation, it enables us to grab a hold of the goodness of God and move forward in what he's called us to do. He says very similar, he records the same thing again in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. We won't go there for time's sake. Then in Mark chapter 6, I want to call your attention to an absolutely astounding passage of Scripture. And we're going to start in verse 2. Remember, we've said in Love's Plan that it is, it is the, the Father's plan to work together with us. And a good portion of Christianity has missed this. They think that God is just controlling everything and that whatever happens is his will. But the Bible doesn't teach that, and Jesus didn't teach that. God created us to co-labor with him, to work together with him. He gave authority over the earth to man, 
Okay? Very important to understand that. We're going to see this very clearly in this passage. So we were created, you were created, I was created to know the Father and to work together with him to bring about his plan in the earth. I don't know of a more important job description than that to you. Let's look at verse 2 of Mark 6. And when the Sabbath day was come, which was Saturday, or Friday evening it began, right? He began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him, this is Jesus, what's he doing? Teaching, preaching, healing. He began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him? that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. So they are impressed with Jesus, but they're not quite sure where this wisdom is coming from. And in just a few moments, they get offended by him. They start to get snooty with him, okay? Verse 3 says, is this not the carpenter? The son, this is, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and John and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended by him. Now, I want to, remember, don't read your Bible too fast. Here's God in their midst. They can physically, with their natural eyes, see God before them. God in the flesh is standing before them, revealing himself to them, and they're offended. Wow, amazing. Why? Because faith is not of your natural eyes. It's not of the flesh. It's of the heart. They were looking at Jesus after the flesh. They knew his mom and dad. They knew his siblings. They're like, who is this guy to be telling us these things? We know where he comes from. He's no one special. We can't look at people after the flesh. You can't look at the church after the flesh. You've got to see one another. You've got to see yourself after the Spirit. Or you will miss the plan of God for your life. Okay, very important. So Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own people, kin, and in his own house. Now, look at verse 5. This, is, this still amazes me, but it's very enlightening. And Jesus could there, in the midst of that offense and unbelief, could do no mighty work, which means he was attempting to heal. He was attempting to set people free, and it wasn't taking. What? I've heard so many ministers say Jesus could do whatever he wanted. Well, the, the Bible doesn't support that. He wants to, he has, he set this up so that we work together with him. He's done everything he could do. We've got to believe him. We've got to receive him. We've got to see him with our heart instead of trying to see him with these peepers. Very important. This is Jesus we're talking about. He could there do no mighty work save that he had laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And Jesus, verse 6, marveled. Why was he marveling? Because of their unbelief. And what now, this is, I, I, I want you to digest this. Remember, remember Thomas after Jesus rose from the dead. And he didn't believe it. 
He said, I'm not going to believe it till I put my finger in his side and see the marks in his hands. That's unbelief. That's a hard heart. We don't want to be like that with the Father. And Jesus said, blessed are those who have believed and have not seen with these peepers. So this is a very precious time that we're living in. This is the age of grace. This is the time to believe God and demonstrate our love for him through, through corresponding actions. So look at Jesus' response to their unbelief. I mean, what would you expect God to do if they, uh, he encountered such hard hearts and unbelief? Maybe we would think he should levitate off the ground and start spinning around or, or lift his hands up and shoot lightning bolts in the air. He didn't do any of those things. Watch what Jesus' response is. Remember what I said about the foundation, that all that God does is his word. What is Jesus' response in verse 6? And he went round about the villages teaching. Preaching and teaching is the remedy for unbelief. Teaching the truth about who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and who we are in Christ. He knew that if that unbelief was going to be remedied, they need to know the truth about their heavenly Father. They need to know the truth about the goodness of God. It's God's response to us to speak to us. And you've got to know that because we've been trained by, oftentimes, uh, society and culture and spirits of darkness to look for sensational things. It's got to be bright and shiny and spectacular. But I want to tell you that when God wants to move in your life, the first thing he's going to do is speak to you. He's going to bring you his word. And, And there are no neon lights with it, naturally speaking. There, there, there's no accompanying, you know, amazing band and, and a group with amazing outfits on and, and production. God will speak to you in a still, small voice right here. And if we want to fulfill the Father's plan, we've got to train ourselves to hear with our heart the, 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 the peaceful voice of our shepherd, Jesus Christ. So that's why Jesus made two-thirds of his ministry teaching and preaching. And in verse 7, then he called his 12 disciples, and he sent them forth. And that's what he's done with us. He sent us forth to do the same things he did. All right. Did you know, Highway family, that men and women are the only beings that can actually preach and teach the gospel in the earth? Did you know that God can't do it? He came and did it once through his son, but now it's up to us. No one else can do it. Angels can't do it. Now, there have been some fake angels that have introduced doctrines into the earth, but that wasn't God's plan. We are the only ones who can preach and teach the gospel. When God wants to get something done, hear me. If you need to pinch yourself or jump up and down a few times, go ahead and do that. When God wants to get something done in the earth, he sends his word and he builds a family. Did you hear what I said? He'll send his word and then he'll build a family. When God wanted to restore order to the earth in Genesis, he spoke his word 
and recreated, restored the earth. And then he brought Adam into the earth. And then he brought Eve into the earth. And they were to be husband and wife. And he started a family. It's the Father's plan. The New Testament church is the family of God in the earth. God is all about family. And I understand in the culture we've lived in over the last 70, 80 years, family has got torn apart in America. And I understand that. Nevertheless, uh, God's plan is for a healthy, strong family in the earth to bring about his plan. Jesus was the firstborn from the dead of this new family. When Jesus rose from the dead, his mission was not over. He had to ascend back unto the Father to present himself in the heavenly holy of holies. When Jesus ascended, he did something that was critical in order for love's plan to be fulfilled in the earth in 2023. What did he do? Well, let's look in the scriptures. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses starting in verse 7. But unto every one of us is given a grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, talking about Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. What kind of gifts? He tells us in verse 11, he gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. We're talking about family. I want you to make the connection here. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The Passion Translation, starting in verse 10. The same one who descended, that's Jesus, he descended from the cross into hell, died on our behalf. The same one who descended is also the one who ascended above the heights of heaven in order to begin the restoration and fulfillment of all things. For the New Testament church to come into being, he had to ascend back unto the Father. Look at verse 11 in the Passion. And he has appointed some with grace to be apostles, and some with grace to be prophets, and some with grace to be evangelists, and some with grace to be pastors, and some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. Look at verse 11 in the message translation. Jesus filled the earth with his gifts. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work. I want to say that again. He's given us these gifts in the body of Christ to train us. 
We're Christ followers. To train Christ followers in skilled servant work. What is that? Working within Christ's body, the church. What does this have to do with family? Every family, even if it's broken apart, naturally speaking, every family begins with a father and a mother. In the New Testament church, hear me spiritually, the fathers and mothers are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. I'm not only referring to the original 12 apostles, I'm referring to the apostles that are, that are with us today, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers that are on the earth today. In the body of Christ, in love's plan, they are the fathers and the mothers of this family of God in the earth. We're seeing things maybe differently today. Our eyes are being opened to a structure, to a family that God has developed. If you've grown up in religious tradition like I did, you won't understand this until you get the word on it. Now, Paul talks about this quite a bit. We're just going to look at one passage for time's sake. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. This is the Holy Spirit implementing love's plan, speaking through Paul. He says, for if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. He's not speaking naturally or biologically. He's talking about love's plan the New Testament church. In love's plan, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers are the fathers and the mothers of this family. Now, when did the New Testament church begin? Well, after Christ ascended back unto the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit. And the New Testament church, we see leap into being Actually, in Acts chapter 2, we see the first New Testament church gathering of 120 people in the upper room. What was the undeniable act, evidence of the birth of the New Testament church? Well, you read in Acts chapter 2, it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't, don't get mad at me now. Did you hear what I'm about to say? Most of Christianity has exalted the baptism of John the Baptist, water baptism. That was only for a period of time. That was to prepare the way for the true baptism that Christ was going to bring. What baptism was that? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's the baptism you want to receive. What is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, scripturally speaking? When they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they immediately began speaking in languages they never studied. I want to encourage you to look at our Bible study on the baptism of the Holy Spirit on our website, under our media menu. Learn about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is the benefit? Why did they begin speaking in tongues? Why, again, wasn't it lightning out of their fingertips? Why didn't they float above the ground? Because your tongue is the rudder of your life. 
Proverbs says death and life are in the power of the tongue. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, your tongue is empowered by the Holy Spirit to pray, to let your spirit pray directly through your mouth without your natural mind blocking it and getting in the way. Oftentimes, people who are tangled up with religious doctrine have a difficult time receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they're trying to figure it out with their natural mind. There is tremendous benefits that you cannot access, speaking of access, until you begin praying in the Spirit. Very important. It is the birth of the New Testament church. It's how it all began, and it is a vital part of our daily life today. And it's talked about much in the New Testament, okay? It was, and then after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, again, the people around didn't quite know what to make of it. They thought they were drunk. Why? Because they were laughing hilariously. They were on the ground, probably jumping up and down, rolling around, just full of joy. And the world doesn't understand why you could be so happy. They thought they must be intoxicated with alcohol, but no, they were intoxicated with the Spirit of God, which Paul exhorts us to be in Ephesians. Don't be drunk with wine. Be drunk with the Holy Ghost. Ow! And then after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not before, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, remember Jesus said, don't do anything. Don't go anywhere until you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. How many believers today have been doing ministry without the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Not the Father's plan. And then once they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, the first Spirit-filled New Testament gospel message was preached. You can see that, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3. Powerful portion of Scripture that we need to know. 3,000 people are saved, love's plan. And then this celebration breaks forth. People are hearing that God loves them, that he's for them, that in his presence is fullness of joy. You read that first gospel message in Acts chapter 2. And they are so grateful, so overjoyed. They're gathering every day in the temple. They're gathering every day in each other's homes. They're breaking bread together. They're celebrating together. They begin selling property and bringing the prophet into the church to the fathers and mothers of the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They're worshiping God, and no one is mandating it. No one told them, you need to go sell your house and bring the prophets into the church. The minute you try and force people to do it, you lose it. Remember what I said about tithing. Is it, is it uh, commanded in the New Testament? No, it was under the law, but it is voluntary, but it is also necessary. It's got to be a a free decision we make of the heart because with, in order to experience real love, you have to have real freedom. Same thing with marriage. It's got to be voluntary. Is it, is it the most amazing human relationship you'll ever know? Yes. But it can't be mandatory. It's got to be a decision of the heart. It's the same thing with worship. So this is the New Testament church. We need to understand and familiarize familiarize ourselves with the birth of the New Testament church, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 1 as well, okay? Now, after this celebration, after this amazing worship, worshiping God in their homes, worshiping God at the temple, bringing 
massive offerings to the temple, to the apostles. Persecution breaks out against the church. This was not a part of love's plan. Where did the persecution come from? Well, remember, Jesus taught us that Satan is the God of this world. Satan wants to stop the preaching and teaching of the true gospel of grace. How does he do that? By uh, oftentimes, one of his most powerful tools, fear, anxiety, religious tradition through religious tradition. The things that were being preached by the apostles directly contradicted the religious tradition that the people knew, that you could be completely saved by believing in Jesus. What? That is radical to the religious mind. And today, it's it's still very radical. Now, understand, when this persecution happened, the New Testament church scattered. It scattered all over the place. People left to flee from the persecution. And they were meeting uh, not only in the Jerusalem area, but scattered north, south, east, and west. And what, what did the apostles do? They began writing letters. They didn't have the Internet back then. They couldn't put up a a page on social media or a YouTube channel. They had to write letters. They began writing letters. We call them epistles. That's a fancy name for letters. Of Of the revelation, the preaching and teaching of Christ. And they would send those letters to the leaders who were leading the different groups. Most of them were meeting in homes. Very important to understand that. Your home is the most important place on earth. It should be the place where you experience Christ the most, where you spend time with him the most, where his presence is, is where your couch should be filled with the presence of God. I mean, the very fabric of your clothes should be saturated with his love and joy and peace. I'm just trying to get this across to you. Okay? Your home, where you live, is the most important place. You know why? Because you live there. And the peace of Christ should reign where you live. Who determines that? We do. By choosing to do things in our personal, private time that help us to grow in relationship with Christ. One of the things I do when no one's in my home, I shout and sing, and I worship God. Sometimes I'm very loud when no one's here. And I'll pray in the Spirit very loudly and sing in the Spirit. Very powerful. So the church scatters. The, the, the fathers and mothers of the church begin writing epistles to each other and sending them. So there are, there, the church is still meeting, still worshiping, but they're doing it not uh, all over the place now and mostly in homes. Now, a lot of controversy has happened in the church recently and uh, about women being in, a, in the five-fold ministry. Well, if, if we knew the Scriptures, we realize there's no controversy. Paul wrote letters to female apostles. <laughs> you will see the people that he's addressing in his epistles. The names aren't American names that we're familiar with. But if you'll look at some of the names, some of the people, leaders he's writing to that he calls apostles were men and some were women. Men and women are equal in terms of importance. 
and significance. And both are called into the full-time ministry. Very important to understand that. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that today. So they begin writing these letters. Their scattered persecution has broke out. Uh, we know that Saul was trying to stop the New Testament church, who later became Paul, right? And they're, uh, they're writing these letters. They're meeting in homes. They started meeting on Sundays. Why? That was different than tradition. Saturday was the day to meet, the Sabbath. Now they're meeting on Sunday because it was the first day of the week. It was the day the Lord rose from the dead, New Testament. And this revelation of the finished work of Christ was brand new. The baptism of the Holy Spirit had never happened before. You read through the book of Acts, and you look at the different accounts. There are people that they meet, believers they meet, they didn't even know what it was. They didn't even know there was a Holy Ghost. All they knew was the baptism of John. Very important to read the book of Acts. Hallelujah, which is still being written, by the way. We're learning today. We're in class today. That's a part of growing in Christ. You have to come to class sometimes to grow in Christ. That's what we're doing today. So I want you to understand, I mean, we pick up our Bible. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We've got all these epistles, and we think they had that. They didn't have that. They had the Old Testament. They didn't have any of They had letters being delivered by hand that the leaders would read and preach and teach from in all the houses. And that's how the New Testament church grow, grew. Now, Satan will often use religious tradition, as I said earlier, to hinder or block the preaching and teaching of the true gospel. I want to share with you a personal example from my life. I grew up in a very strong, cold religious tradition. I didn't want to be a part of it, but I had to. And as a kid, I remember just feeling so cold every time we went. And in our home life, there was no peace there. There was uh, <laughs> serious fighting, and uh, it just wasn't good. And in my mind, as a little four-year-old, five-year-old, I'm thinking, why are we going to this church and it's not making any difference in our lives at home? I'm just a little kid thinking these thoughts. Good, good question, Right. So anyway, I grew up in this very strict religious tradition, and I liken this to the book of Acts. When the, when the New Testament church came alive with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, nothing like this had ever happened in the earth before. Now anyone could be set free by simply accepting what Christ did for them. That makes religion mad. Why? Because religion has built these elaborate systems to get people into their thing, and they want to keep people in their thing for the rest of their lives so they can keep growing their systems. Jesus isn't like that. He put a family in the earth so that you could grow, so that you can know him and others could know him. So I grew up in this elaborate system that was very heavy and difficult and impossible, to be honest. But then something happened at 17 years of age. I realized, you know what, I, I just, I gotta, I've got to find God. And I just would take long walks at night, and I just begin talking to God. I didn't have a Bible. If there was one in my house, I didn't know it. We didn't know the Bible. We didn't use the Bible in the church I went to. Occasional scriptural reference, maybe some on the wall somewhere, but we didn't know the word. 
But I just knew I had to know God. So I would take walks across the street. There was a golf course. And I'd walk up this big par five that we called it the monster. It was a long par five with about a 45-degree hill. And I'd walk up the tall of that thing like at midnight. And I'd go through this forest path. And I'd walk to the very pinnacle of the, that golf course. And I'd look out over my city and look at the lights. And I'd say, God, who are you? You've got to be better than what I've seen in my church. I want to know who you are. Show yourself to me. And I'd holler that out at the top of the monster, <laughs> the par five. I think it was number six on the golf course. <laughs> As I show you, I'd look at the stars. I'd look out over my city and say, I want to know you. I didn't know any scriptures. I didn't know the Holy Spirit. I just wanted to know him. And I began doing that regularly. And sometimes I'd walk for one, two, or three hours, and I'd just talk to God. Well, I wish it would have happened sooner, but thankfully, about two years later, maybe two to three years later, I met someone who gave me a Bible. And I had actually moved away from that part of the country. I was living in a different place. I was uh, about 19, on my way to 20. And someone gave me a Bible. Why is this important? Because preaching and teaching is an essential part of love's plan. And when I began reading the Bible, I was shocked. I began in the book of John in the New Testament, and I was actually looking at Christ. And I got kind of mad at one point because I had been in church my whole life, and I say, why didn't someone Tell me what Jesus said. I was by myself. I didn't yell at anybody. That's how I felt inside. Why am I saying that to you? Well, fast forward in my life. Maybe six years later, I grew up a very sick person, a lot of medical issues. Stay with me, guys. I'm just, uh, uh, this is very important. Grew up in a medical family. We couldn't find answers. I, was, I went to Children's Hospital a lot in Pittsburgh, looking for answers, trying to figure out how I could be healthy. We just couldn't seem to find any. Well, when I began reading the book of John, and then I couldn't get enough, then I'd read Matthew and Mark and Luke and Acts and, and, and Romans and just absorbing the Gospels and the good news of Christ. I couldn't find one person in the Bible that Jesus made sick. Why is that important? Well, in my, the first church I ever went to, I remember was wonderful. I didn't know anything other than the church I grew up in. But I went to this church in Northwest Ohio, and the pastor, at my recollection, every time I went there, people were lifting their hands, praying in the Spirit, and the, the preaching and teaching was all about knowing Christ and experiencing the glory of God, healing wholeness, faith, the, the power of the Spirit. And I was eating it up because it was the same thing I was reading in my private time. That was in my first year of knowing Christ. As the years went on, I moved to different places. Some places I went to didn't say the same thing Jesus went to, Jesus said. I was always looking for that. Is there a church that will simply say what Jesus said? that won't try and block it with their natural reasoning and their religious tradition. So fast forward six years, I'm in a church in a whole different part of the country now. And I've, I've actually, at this point, I had lived in, an, lived in another continent. I've come back to the States. And I'm in a church, and the pastor says that God doesn't always heal. 
He doesn't heal everybody. That sometimes God uses sickness and disease to teach us things. Now, this is a church that we were actually serving. We were actually leading worship in. We were, we were a very important part of the church. And again, I'm still understanding church. I'm still new in this whole thing. Uh, didn't have a lot of solid teaching like, like you're getting at Highway. And when I heard the pastor say that, I knew that wasn't Jesus because I didn't see that in the ministry of Christ. Remember, if what you believe isn't perfectly supported by the person and ministry of Christ as recorded in the Scriptures, then what you believe is incorrect, okay? And you need to let go of that and embrace Jesus. Hey, everyone, this message is continued on the next podcast. So go ahead and head to the next podcast. Don't miss the conclusion of Love's Plan Part 5.